Thanks for joining us on another episode of Maiden Voyage. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the emotion involved in the purchases that we make. Is it just flat out what we want, or is it a pure result of the best marketing winning our captivation? Women face unique challenges, from glass ceilings at work to everyday personal stressors. The Maiden Voyage podcast covers it all, offering tips and tricks for overcoming your struggles. While this lady-hosted podcast focuses heavily on women's issues, it's relevant for anyone who values self-improvement, equality, and badass inspiration. We all navigate this journey together. Welcome aboard. Okay, ladies, let's dive in. So we're going to start with a bit of a twist and have a bit of a rip-off discussion so that we can set the stage. Cereal. Do you love it or do you hate it? Jen, you're up. I mean, I like cereal. I agree when we were chatting a little offline um, that cereal's not necessarily the best way to start your day. It's often not the most nutritious choice, but I agree with um, Jackie's opinion that it's like makes a great snack or a dessert if you have a sugary cereal item. <laughs> so I, I'm pro cereal. I still eat cereal, but there's a time and place. I mean, I ate cereal last night. <laughs> like I eat cereal all the time. Uh, I did a little mixed bag too, a little cinnamon toast crunch with my. Yeah, no, I like to mix cereal. I'm a huge cereal advocate. Um, there's a lot of cereal in our house. There are different flavors of cereal. I don't think there is a time and place for cereal. I believe it's always a good choice. I don't think it's a nutritious breakfast. Like you know, it's it's you're making the choice to eat cereal because it's delicious, not because it has a high protein count that's going to sustain you through a workout. That's not why you're eating cereal, um, but I do think that it is always a good option for life. Guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree here. I love cereal, but I also think it can be a very nutritious choice. I think like all things, it requires balance. And like most foods, it requires foresight to have a very nutritious cereal meal. But I will often have a little Greek yogurt parfait situation. So I get my protein going. Okay. And you put cereal at, in, your, in your... In lieu of milk, I will use the Greek yogurt and we'll add right. cereal. You can also add fruits. For example, frozen blueberries in your yogurt with some crunchy cereal topping maybe throw in a nut or a seed butter or like some chia seeds. Yes. And I you am officially angry that I had not thought about substituting granola for cereal. Yes. Mm -hmm. In my yogurt. I am, I'm enraged at myself. Can I actually make your day even a little sweeter if we say? I don't know if it's possible. So um, granola, delicious, wonderful. Packed so with everything you want, it. but can be really sugary itself. I also, granola is a cereal, the end. Um, can be sugary itself, can sometimes have ingredients that you don't want a ton of, but you want the deliciousness. Ladies, granola plus plain old Cheerios, plain old rice checks, plain old puff rice cereal. Especially if you get like a brown rice cereal, you're gonna get more fiber. You get to have more of the crunchy stuff. It's delicious and wonderful. I'm an advocate for cereal all the time. You can have all the sugary cereal you want. You just have to approach it and balance it with all the other good stuff. Team cereal. I'm team cereal. Give me some. Mm. Oh, yes. interesting. I, I'm I'm looking at this from a whole new light and changing my Wegmans order like as soon as we're done here. 
Yeah, man. So we have like three wins, but what's like bewildering to me is our friend Krissa, who is going to now share why she's broken on the inside. (laughs) Unpopular opinion. I hate cereal so much. (laughs) I need to know more about this. I don't understand it. So I I did have cereal sometimes uh, growing up. My mom would get the the variety pack of the tiny boxes because- It was a kid that could never be trusted to pour a reasonable portion of anything. Like, I just wasn't. It's like, if you left me alone to make my own chocolate milk, I was using half of the thing of Nesquik powder. Like, I couldn't be trusted kind of thing. You know. I see no problem with this. So, um, I, you know, I, so I definitely had it, right? But no matter if I tried to eat it dry, I hated that it either tasted like cardboard or it tasted like sugar cardboard. I hate it if I added milk to it, if it tasted like soggy cardboard. (laughs) And I tried, guys, I tried so many different kinds. I mean, like my mom tried everything. She even tried to give me all the fun routes, like with the cookie crisp and the fruity pebbles and all the chocolatey ones, like even the Reese's puffs. And I'm like, this is still garbage. Why am I eating this? Can I have a grilled cheese instead? Like, Okay, I mean, if we're gonna have that conversation of like cereal versus grilled cheese, that we're we're taking so it in a different direction. But like, what's funny enough though is in like if I were to be thinking like last night I didn't have a real dinner, I was like out doing something and I had like a little snackadoo, and it was later in the evening, past what my normal dinner hour would be, so I didn't want to eat anything heavy. Chris had nailed it though. Like those are the options at that time, right? It's a grilled cheese or a bowl of cereal for me. Right, like that's the way I'm going. I'm either having a grilled cheese or I'm having cereal. That's interesting. Out of all this, right? What Mm. just happened is we all described three different, I mean, four, well, four different correlations to cereal, purposes for them, why we eat them, why we enjoy them, why we don't enjoy them. And that's all emotion involved in our purchasing decisions at the grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that, and that's kind of what we were talking about offline, like this article um, that's on Medium about Mad Men and how uh, people buying products is completely emotion based. That's yeah. it, it, it's more it's in the marketing and the advertising. So why do we buy the things that we buy? Um, so I'm gonna open up the floor. You guys talk about some takeaways that you got from that because I feel like there's a lot to dig into. Based well, on- before we get there, I'd love to connect the article to our previous conversation where Jen had asked before we jumped on, like, what cereal do you feel the most nostalgic about from the marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, and Jen, why don't you go ahead and share that? Because I thought that was an interesting question. I feel like my answer was so random. I would never actually buy my, the cereal today, but it definitely holds a nostalgic place in my heart. Yeah, to me as a writer, I think I'm always looking for the story behind a marketing campaign. And I remember campaigns that have profound stories. And when I was thinking back to my childhood, really the only cereal adventure that I can remember very well is the Lucky Charms campaign because I just remember the leprechaun always chasing after his Lucky Charms everywhere and all the shenanigans he would go through going over the rainbow and it was funny because I was trying to even think I'm like what the hell like I remember like Tony the Tiger but what was he doing in his commercials I don't remember and earlier in the chat you brought up like snap crackle pop I'm like oh Rice Krispies but 
what were they doing in the commercials? I don't remember what they were doing. Um, so it's, it's interesting to think that you can come up with a profound character who's rememberable, re but at the same time, it's the story behind it to me that leaves the biggest impact. I mean, do any yeah. of the ladies remember any sort of um, like commercials from back in the day? Yes. Tricks are for kids. Yeah. Silly rabbit. Oh, okay, I kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. For me, it's um, the Wheaties box. Um, just growing up, the, the Olympics had such like a, have a, such profound memories of like, just everything about the Olympics, watching it as a kid. And I loved the Olympics. Um, we watched as a family. It was like big to do. And I loved that the Wheaties box always had Olympians on it. And so I had that correlation that like, if they eat them, I'll eat them. And I could like do gymnastics all of a sudden, which like is not a thing in my life. So I loved, I think they did a great job of, you know, the Wheaties brand of making you feel like this is what, this is what champions eat you know, like Nike, Gatorade, like these are things that champions eat. Well, in my child mind, I'm like, cool, well then I'll be a champion if I eat it too. Um, now, obviously it takes a lot of hard work and dedication, but as like an eight-year-old, I did not see that. I just saw them on the Wheaties box. You know, that was like such a big deal to be on the front of the box of the cereal. They sold you a dream. They sure Aww. did. You know, I've never eaten Wheaties. Uh, me neither. <laughs> That's the best part of this? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, what? I've never memorable. eaten, no, I've never never eaten Wheaties, but like the branding, the box, the everything about it was compelling to me. Okay. I thought Frosted Wheats were so interesting, and then I bit into one, and I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> that is, that's a good word. Interesting. That's an interesting cereal. It's different than the other cereals. It's... It's hardy. It's, it's thin layers of straw that you're expected to enjoy. <laughs> you, girl, you got some cereal issues. Oh, man. So I'm, like, I get hooked on cereals. Um, and this is something in my adult life that happened a lot, not so much in my, my youth. We definitely were cereal kids, but I would more like, um, like, my grandma ate Frosted Mini Wheats. So when we stayed at grandma's house, we would have Frosted Mini Wheats. So I don't know if I have like all of the nostalgic connections about them from like the, in a marketing standpoint, but I do think a lot of the, the co-marketing of cereals and the co-branding with cereals that came about, I feel like when I was in high school and college really like has stuck like Oreo O's. Yes. Or mm -hmm. the Reese's Puffs, right? All of those things are like, yes, I want Reese's for breakfast. Wasn't that their, their slogan was like, Reese's for breakfast, candy for breakfast, or something like that. Um, so I'm 100% here for that, and I think that's really effective and um, probably a, a good lesson for a lot of us as marketers and, and in the brand space. Like, yeah, good collab goes a long way. Um, I don't know if they still sell Oreo O's. I hope they do. I think Gosh. I did Publix like a couple days ago, really. Yeah, we only have plain Cheerios right now, and I'm, I'm feeling like I need to go to the store for sure. No, um, do you guys feel like that so many cereals, like whether they're for any age group, like don't you feel like so many of them target kids? Like so many of that advertising? Like it's this so, so here's my thing with cereal, right? If I'm going to have cereal in the morning or like an egg situation in the morning, right? I don't have a lot of time. 
I have to imagine if I had children, I would have less time because you have to deal with them in the morning. I mean, they're wonderful, but like, you know, it's a lot. Um, if I'm going to make an egg, I'm committing to washing at least two things, probably three. Mm-hmm. And if like other people are eating them even more, mm-hmm. a bowl of cereal is one thing to wash. Yeah. You wash the bowl, right? So if you're time crunched in the morning, I get it, right? And like, if the choice is you're going to send your kid to school and they eat cereal for breakfast with like milk or an alternative milk or yogurt or something like that, or nothing because they didn't have time to sit down and eat it, like cereal is probably a better choice for most kids than nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like, what time do they have lunch? They don't well, get to just pick. But I also feel like from a, so I'm dealing with this now, from like a sponge worthy perspective, like the kids see it and they retain it so quickly. So like she'll see one commercial about something and it's all she will talk about for like, for example, Fruit Loops. We do not have Fruit Loops. We do now. We did not have Fruit Loops in our house. She had never had a Fruit Loop. She didn't know what a Fruit Loop was. She saw a commercial for Fruit Loops. Then she saw Fruit Loops on a YouTube video. And all she talked about for weeks was wanting Fruit Loops. Wanting for lips. And we kept being like, yeah, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it. We were not going to get it. She did not stop talking about it until she, my husband came back from Target without them. And she cried. So we finally got the kid a box of Fruit Loops. Now we explained to her though, this is not breakfast. This is not lunch. This is not dinner. This is a snack. Fruit Loops are a treat. You can have them after school on the way to dance class to get all jazzed and sugared up. Like we are you treating it as a Smarties, right? Like that is how yeah. Fruit Loops. But the point is that it stuck with her. There was something about the color of the box, the, the character on the front, like the color of the cereal. It, it like, it became ingrained in her that she would not stop talking about it. And there have been similar campaigns that have stuck with her, like over the time we've been in quarantine where she has been watching a little bit more TV than usual. Like we now own Snackies because it's stuck with her. And I think this is a great parlay, like into this article that we were reading about that, like, you're buying from emotion, not necessarily out of need. The snackies in my house was a need. It was not, we do not need it. It was an emotional purchase that was made. It's so interesting. You tell me about um, snackies. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Before we actually go into the subject matter of this episode, I'm going to need to know what snackies is. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Well, snackies is a cup about this big. Um, oh. The top portion, you can fall snack in with oh. a lid. The bottom portion you can fill with a fluid. And if you ask my daughter about it, she will tell you it doesn't spill. You can take it in the car. You can take it to the beach. You can take it to grandma's. She recreates the commercial for me every time she asked for it. For weeks, she wore us down until we finally ordered her a snackies. I feel like that that's fantastic. That kind of like that kind of sounds like a necessity to me. Ah! I'm a klutzy person, so this sounds wonderful. Okay, it is. It's great. It's so it's fun. Everyone Google the snackies. It's S N A C S N A C. After this episode, we'll all order one. Um, they're probably gonna get one free um, on their website. Yes, we have three in my house. I can leave. So, oh, oh. <laughs> oh wait, they're buy one get one free, and you bought three. No, I don't even want to go into the story. This feels like an offline topic, but I bought one. And then on Amazon, and my mom then bought one, and it came with a free one, so now we have three. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, good good marketing gimmick there as well. 
but that's the thing is that like it became such an emotional she's three and a half she was emotionally attached to the need for this based off of the really terrible infomercial that she saw over and over and over again but you can take it to grandma's house and we love going to grandma's house here's the thing somehow they sold like the the emotional need to a product to a toddler Mm-hmm. And like sold the experience of having that product to her so much that she retained it and regurgitated it over and over until she got it. That's nuts. <laughs> it was it was it, it was an interesting experience to be a part of. Yeah. Um, like as a salesperson, um, first of all, I love this article starts off by saying that um, because like well, I know all you marketers don't think you're in sales or would like to believe that, but you lie into yourself. Um, it's all about selling emotion, not product. That's the first thing we've talked about the golden circle before with Simon Sinek and like, you know, sharing your why and really engaging people from their gut as to how you can solve their problem. And, and, and Mad Men was like the beginning of that, right? It was like the, the epic change of need versus want and that desire to become better by buying different. The first, uh, the first um, line of this article that you're all going to have to read now, it's all about selling emotion, not product. So although maybe you're not directly closing a deal as a marketing person, you are selling the why of the brand, right? You are connecting emotionally with your audience to deliver a message of why they cannot foreseeably live the future without said product. And I think this show Mad Men um, is like that era in marketing where that shift changed, where you were buying cigarettes, you were buying camel because you were like a rough and rugged, handsome cowboy, right? Or like you were, right? Isn't that what they were selling? Like, yeah, you're right. You're not buying a car, you're buying a Lexus. Like you're buying what the brand is conveying. The message is I am I am fierce, I am rich, I am rugged, I am, you know, I'm the skinny bitch housewife smoking, you know, the skinny cigarette. Like you were selling the the what and the why, not necessarily a cigarette, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like Mad Men almost like created the beginning of like a buyer persona, which is like a super like interesting, you know, it's a concept that we use every day, right? Like they were creating like the lifestyle, like they're thinking, you know, in all these strategy meetings throughout the show, they're like, who does this person look like that is buying this product? And how do we reach them? How do we grab them and like show them that they need this, even right. though they need it at all? Right. So like it was the sixties, right? So like in the sixties, it was as article parlays into like the American dream, like two and a half kids, a white picket fence, like the nine to five, a car, a color TV. Like everyone was kind of pursuing this dream of almost like perfection, right? And like they very poignantly, like you said, diagnosed, we are giving this to them and here's why and who's how and here's why. Like here's the person buying it. Here's the situation in which they need it. Like like you said, they were cultivating ICPs or as we call them today, right? Like that buyer's journey that we talk about on a website was, was in the commercials and then in the grocery store at the end cap. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't seen the episode, but the article talked about a specific scene from the show about the Kodak wheel. 
Do you ladies remember that or maybe want to explain why that was so profound? Uh, Jackie, you go for it. Okay. I mean, it's been a long time since I saw the show, but what I recall, it, it was, I think the episode was pivotal because it was like a very dual, like, I don't want to ruin the series for those, but John was not a loyal man um, <laughs> to his wife. And so he was going through some personal issues at home and trying to sell Kodiak on the idea of like the pitch, the, the marketing pitch for, um, uh, for the Kodiak wheel, which was like the camera, um, what are those called? Um, slides. The little, what? This, the slides. Thank you. So the idea of the wheel is that the Kodiak wheel had all that you put all your picture slides in it and you are showing it up on the screen, right? And so he actually put pictures of his family. And so like, you know, shit was happening in his life as he's sitting there in a group of people watching his life almost go before his eyes in that emotional reel of like where I met my wife and our first dance and our wedding and our children and they were born and now my family today and really engaging in like who we are, of course, humans, like family first, right? Like getting re right to the gut of people. And I felt that episode was very poignant in, you know, understanding a little bit more about Don Draper, but also how he was parlaying his personal experience into marketing campaigns that I don't remember if they sold, they bought it or not. It's been a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it really was as an epic way to bring like emotion and product into one moment. Yeah, yeah. And the article said that it was all about like chasing nostalgia and that as humans, we, we go after two things like a future lifestyle or like holding on to the memory of like an old lifestyle. So from a marketing perspective, it's interesting to kind of choose like what path you're going to take on your campaign. What are you going to go after? Yeah. I this product highlighted both of that, Jen. It was moving forward into the future with this tool. Mm -hmm. Hold on to your memories of the past, right? And like using this futuristic tool to keep that alive, which is kind of interesting. And what gets me so much about the show in general, and the, the article actually talks about this, is that, I mean, advertisers, especially then, like they knew they were creating this fantasy that wasn't real, right? Like they're trying to get people to grab on to this amazing thing that wasn't even real. And why like Don Draper as a character, you know, he's the main character in the show and why he struggled so much. Like we watched his journey the entire time. He struggled so much because he was trying, he, he, he couldn't even be Don Draper, like this perfect life, you know, the wife, the, the kids, the house, the money, the handsome, like everything. He couldn't even hold on to it because it wasn't real. It wasn't reality. And so like he could, that's why he was so good at his job because he was so good at fabricating fantasy mm. and he couldn't even like hold on to it. Like it is crazy. Every time I think about that show, that's why I think, I think it's so like relevant and we have to understand that sometimes whenever we're buying these products, we're not like fulfilling ourselves with like happiness. We're temporarily like purchasing something that's going to give a good feeling. It's not lasting. Right. But it's the, the art of the marketing company to make you feel like it's going to be a lasting sensation or to offer you a product that really could be like the camera that it could for many years to come keep inspiring that initial feeling. Yeah. And I think that's what's, what's key here as well is that, sure, maybe we remember marketing campaigns and sometimes marketing campaigns put things in our laps that we're like, ooh, why did I buy this one? 
not sure. Okay. Um, but there also are those gems in the world, whether we're talking about consumer goods, um, whether we're talking about business software, professional services, right? There are good companies that have the mission of producing real things to do good work with the right intentions. And as marketers, we have the privilege of creating campaigns that support those items. And the campaigns are valuable because they need to cut through the clutter of the crap that's out there too, right? Like how many pieces of marketing automation software have we seen that don't do what HubSpot does, but cost twice as much, mm -hmm. right? And marketing may lead people to believe this is great enterprise software, but is it? Does it do what you need? How do we help people evaluate that? And how do we position that um, for our clients is really, really important. So um, we have to make sure we, we choose wisely as consumers, but also um, I think as a marketing agency that we choose wisely um, in terms of the, the clients we represent. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, Julie, and I fully agree with you that there's an integrity, right? There's a baseline integrity that I think we instilled that I think all marketers should, um, instill. And I, I'd like to believe that nobody is putting information out there. That's like a lie. Like they truly probably believe that their software is great for enterprise and it is up to the consumer to do their due diligence. Um, but I think that there is so much noise right now that being, everyone's being attacked um, very emotionally from just marketing across the board. There's just so much noise out there. So it's hard to know like, wh where do I define what is right for me? What is wrong for me? And that's why I love the idea of, of content marketing at its core, like producing uh, checklists and, um, you know, utilizing the, like the emotional pitch, if you will, but then providing things that are more diagnostic to kind of help consumers make these decisions. Yeah. Well, and that's the beauty of like addressing uh, like pain points and problem solving instead of just presenting this, this will fix everything solution, right? Like identifying specific like problems that we can solve for like as marketers is like a really important thing to do, not just this is everything. Here you go. Here's wrapped in a pretty package. There you go. I think that was a really amazing conversation about selling emotional marketing and cereal. If you want to learn more about crafting the correct message using emotion and talking about your why, take a listen to our uh, conversation that we recorded about Simon Sinek and the Golden Circle. Every marketer should watch um, that TED Talk and we talk a lot about it as well. So join us there and we look forward to joining us and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Maiden Voyage podcast. Sadly, that'll do it for this week's episode of Maiden Voyage. We'd like to thank you, our amazing listeners, because let's face it, lady life is hard. It's incredible how much we accomplish every day and we all deserve awards just for existing. If you're watching the show, make sure that you subscribe, click on that thing for instant notifications, speak your mind in the comments, and share us with your fellow voyagers.